Welcome to On Work and Revolution, where we talk about what's shaking up in the world of work right now and how we can make work life suck less. People who know me know that I'm always aiming for a higher bar, amazing work life, but on some days suck less can feel just fine. I'm your host, Debbie Goodman, and today we have Shoshana Vernick as our guest. So Shoshana is co-founder and managing director of Avathon Capital, a fund that invests in companies in the education and workforce management sectors. Prior to this, she was managing director at Sterling Partners, running their Education Opportunities Fund for several years, all in more than two decades as an investor in companies across sectors, which naturally also includes being a board member of many. And today we will be talking to Shoshana about what it takes to succeed as a CEO of a venture or private equity-backed company and why it's particularly a hard job right now in the current markets. So we're going to talk about what's shaking up for CEOs right now, sort of November, end of 2022, um, where things are super shaky and rocky. So welcome, Shoshana. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Debbie. It's an honor. So a few things before we head into the CEO struggle. Um, firstly, I noticed that you're currently board member of Academic Programs International, Edcast, Shorelight, and Suzy Cakes. And the first three are all in the education and training sector, which totally makes sense. Um, and then there's Suzy Cakes, which makes the best chocolate cake in the whole of California, as far as I'm concerned. I am, have been a purveyor and taster of many, but I'm not sure that I fully understand that investment thesis. You know, and I actually think the list is probably even longer than you listed for current board uh, membership. But I'll, but I'll touch upon your question, which is how does Susie Cakes fit into all of this? And really, if, for two main reasons. The first reason is it's an investment that predates my time at Avathon Capital, back to what you referenced at Sterling Partners, where, you know, I've been, um, you know, on the team for, for, for many years. And Susie Cakes was the firm's um, investment in the consumer uh, retail sector where we partnered with Susan Sarich, who is a wonderful, you know, Los Angeles based entrepreneur who started this amazing brand that celebrated celebrations. Um, and so being in LA, I don't know if you've eaten at or enjoyed some of our, our Susie Cakes treats, but all of that sort of goes back to the, the, the time at, at Sterling. And then my relationship with, with Susan and the company itself has permeated beyond my time at, at Sterling. And so I've stayed involved and have been, um, you know, arm in arm with Susan and thinking about kind of growing that bakery concept. Well, yes, I have tasted um, several of, of Susie's amazing cakes. And it's so interesting that you are still having a long-term relationship with her and the company, because that's often not the case, you know, in the venture sector, where it's kind of in and out. That must have been a wonderful story, but also a really gnarly one during the pandemic. It, it was, you know, both on the education side and on the hospitality side, we had many businesses that um, operations that were meant to, you know, meant to be and originally designed to be face-to-face -face experiences. Th those operations were shuttered 
by and large during the pandemic. Um, in the case of, of, of Susie Cakes, we had, I think it was 492 employees and we had to um, you know, reach each of them during that moment, make sure they were okay, but downsize the operation in order to hibernate to survive as a corporation through the pandemic. So balancing, as we used to say, you know, humanity and liquidity became very difficult. Uh, on the education side, we had other businesses like Big Blue Marble Academy that runs a network of early childcare centers in the United States. And there, despite the fact that it was in person, we by and large made the decision to stay open during the pandemic. The states allowed it that we operated in and we really became a, um, a necessity for first responder families that needed childcare. And I think that all of us in this country learned through the pandemic the hard way that childcare is an essential to um, just a productive economy. And many dual income families and even single income families, we rely on early childcare, either services, support or education to keep our own family systems going. Tell me more about liquidity and humanity, because I think as we emerging post pandemic, um, concurrent with really shaky markets, whether we're technically in a recession or not, it's sure, it's sure I'm feeling very recessionary. And, um, you know, with the layoffs and the news of, um, uh, you know, really the, the bad news coming out of almost every sector on a daily basis, I'm seeing a lot less humanity in the desire for liquidity, saving profits, shoring up, battening down the hatches, all those things. But I mean, every day there's one piece of bad news that really doesn't take into account the humanity side of people who are in the world of work right now. Yeah. You know, we try really hard to not allow ourselves to be like polarized thinkers, you know, where every choice feels like an or, you know, I'm either only thinking about the profit of a business or I'm thinking about, for example, the, the impact or the mission of a business. Or I'm only thinking about liquidity. Do I have enough money for tomorrow or that, you know, the kind of the well-being of my workforce, right? That's forcing a decision amongst two opposites, as opposed to saying, how, is it, what's, what's the art of the possible? Is there an and equation here? Can I strike a balance where both things are possible? And so that's when I you know, mean balancing that. Um, and CEOs today, boards today are facing what feel like you know, conflicting decisions just on a, on a regular basis. And that's where we think it's just important to understand, you know, what, what to, you know, to take, take a, I mentioned Big Blue Marble, take, you know, why is this business here in the first place? Who, who is it serving? How do we ensure that we can serve, you know, through, you know, our, the, our constituencies properly and fairly through the, the you know, the bargain of um, the service for the price? And how do we make sure that everybody that's involved, you know, has a relative sort of share of, of what's going on with that organization? So we'll make those types of, you know, calculations. Yeah, I mean, I completely agree with you that it shouldn't be an or around the profit or people. And there absolutely are ways to manage those two issues concurrently in a healthy way. I think last week we had two really interesting examples of a good way and a not so good way with um, Stripe announced layoffs. I'm sure you saw that. And um, which was followed by almost like an apology by the co-CEOs, the brothers, who had 
taken accountability for some poor decision making and that resulted ultimately in needing to lay off quite a large number of their staff globally. But it was done with such humanity and such humility. I saw this as well with uh, another one of the uh, companies in the ed tech sector, Degreed, um, David Blake, who just did a beautiful you know, he really was so um, humble in his um, in his approach to announcing layoffs, which had happened almost two months ago, I think, um, and really supporting um, his the you know the affected staff members to to you know find places elsewhere. Versus, of course, the dear Mr. Musk, the chief Twitter as he calls himself, and his approach last Friday, which was just completely the opposite. So yeah. there we go. And then I think Jack Dorsey came out and apologized the day after those layoffs and said, you know what, I have com- some culpability here too. You know, I, I grew the organization and the headcount, you know, too quickly. And so, you know, when we're coming off of 2021 and 2020, that, all, you know, in economy with juxtapositions where people were, you know, afforded for growing very, very quickly, you almost couldn't hire fast enough to keep up with, you know, the perception of market demand. But when that market demand starts to taper off and you have a government force that's intentionally trying to slow down demand, you know, many organizations that don't have sufficient, you know, independent self-sustaining profits are finding themselves with a lot of, you know, extra weight. And that extra weight is now being trimmed. And trimming extra weight, people are going to look at non-discretionary spending and they're going to look at headcount that becomes you know, non-essential to core operations. And there we have hiring freezes and layoffs that have begun. And I think we saw this was sort of mostly a trickle maybe in May, and that has you know started to flow a little more. And now we're seeing some pretty pretty deep cuts. Um, to go back to the, um, the CEO struggle, there are many right now, one being this decision about how deep and how fast do we cut probably our biggest cost, but also our potentially biggest driver of profit, namely people. And so that together with what are the other variables that you think are just compounding this vortex, um, the epicenter of the hurricane that many CEOs of particularly venture-backed or private equity-backed CEOs and founders are finding themselves in right now? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, it's it's a CEO's job is tough, right? And and oftentimes a CEO's job can be lonely, and that's the benefit of having either of you know a, a smart and involved board of directors, um, and oftentimes can be the role of of the private equity firm or the venture capital firm to be a sounding board to that executive, or it's important for you know the executive to have a safe space you know, somebody outside of that network that they can go to, to confide because these issues are complex and they're real. You know, so CEOs today are not just living in the execution of their own business strategy and business plan. You know, the days of saying, am I better than my competition? Can I take share and or can I grow demand, right? You know, those days are, are have faded away. The new reality is you have to have, call it a point of view on how to have a a, a culture at your own business where you're engaging your employees. They feel connected to the purpose. They feel valued. They feel that their contributions are rewarded, right? So you need to do everything you can to be a culture and social captain of that organization and have true leadership 
um, where vulnerability, you know, as you mentioned earlier, is is really rewarded um, by that employee base. It creates, you know, emotion. It creates loyalty. And CEOs are dealing with a very, you know, complicated, um, polarizing political environment. And that political environment and toxicity, you know, is, is in the lives of our employees that walk in and out of our, our, our companies every day. And so CEOs are often now feeling like there's certain issues that they need to cast opinions on. And there are certain issues that maybe they don't want to. Um, and they have to make those calls on, on when to walk into when to walk into politics. And so there are there's just more things going on. I mean, obviously, the macroeconomic environment is very difficult for, you know, you know, quite obvious reasons. Growth is slowing. Inflation is is continuing to, to, to rise. And so managing managing those issues, let alone are are difficult. And then we have major exogenous factors war in Europe and other places around the world and other things that kind of create almost the need for a bit of perfection um, for your business to kind of float through without feeling, you know, pain or volatility. Yeah. And I think that that is perfection, as we know, is elusive and impossible. And so I think as well to add to this uh, cauldron, the hot pot, CEOs, of course, they're in the hot seat and they sign up for that. Um, I think the added variables is the complexity around the workplace. Um, so many changes, so many new variables to take into account. Engagement, productivity, hybrid, work from home, working moms, like just add, add, add so many factors to that. I, they are being a CEO myself, and I'm sure you know, you know this too. Sometimes I just want to say, can, I just need a break. Can somebody just give me a break. No, we sign up for that. So when you make a decision to invest, how much are you betting on the product or the service or the offering of the, of the company versus the CEO, the leadership team, the vision, the capability? Because with all of the stuff that's happening in the world, and now we've got this one snapshot of time, but look forward a year, there'll be another range of complex variables. How do you know that the founder or CEO is going to got what it takes? It's an and, not an or, right? Like it's not just one, right? A forced choice. If you force a choice, I will always say I take the jockey over the horse. However, the truth is it's, it's, it becomes a both. And so, you know, you want a higher probability if you put yourself in a growing market, a large growing market, higher probability of success, higher probability of success if it's a good product, you know, a good solution and you're investing in kind of the maturation, sustainability of your solution set. And you really believe the value proposition is great. Higher probability of success if you have a strong business model, right, where, where you know, you have high gross margins, your gross margins can afford your operating expense structure and you have cash flow to invest in innovation and all of the things we said you want to do as a corporation to build a healthy culture, right? So... All of those things lend to higher probability of success, and those tend to be categories that investors can perform due diligence on. Market, product, business model, finances, right? Then there's everything else, which is just the art. What is the culture of the organization? What's the context of its current stage? How does the CEO's skill set fit into the context of what needs to happen over the next few years? How much growth as an executive 
do they have in front of them? What is their mindset towards growth, right? On an individual basis and towards the organization. So we spend a lot of time evaluating the talent of the leadership team and certainly placing a bet on the talent of the CEO. What would you say to a CEO whose leadership team bought into a vision that was accompanied by financial rewards where the parameters of those have needed to have adjusted, have changed quite radically. Valuations have dropped, potential new raises have been paused, bonuses for this year have already been impacted. I'm literally this week have been interviewing senior level candidates on leadership teams of companies that are, you know, struggling right now. And they're going, I didn't sign up for this. They're going, I signed up for the growth and the vision and the the bonuses and the equity. Yeah, yeah. And now that's not looking quite as likely or guaranteed or a sure thing. And they don't have necessarily the, I would say that they've got the luxury of walking if they choose to um, versus the CEO who's sitting with this. They, you know, they, this is their baby, so they can't walk away quite as easily. Um, and my tendency is to say, you signed up to be part of a leadership, uh, to be part of a growth story, and that's never guaranteed. So show a bit of grit, man, is, is what I want to say. But what would you say? Well, I don't know if you need to hold back. I mean, people who jump ship, that either becomes a sign of character or a situation that they'll have to explain when they go to the next job. I don't know if anybody is immune to, you know, having to, to no consequences to their decisions. And so folks that jump ship or have short stays in multiple businesses because they left when things got more difficult, eventually that catches up and they are less attractive in the, in the job market as a both investor and a partner to executives, right? And somebody who wants to help executives be as good as they possibly can be and have multiple relationships with them, you know, over, over decades, you like to find people who understood what they went into understood that there's no such thing as, you know, perfect vision. And when situations get difficult, that's when actually it takes creativity. It takes adaptability, right? You have to be flexible. You have to be ingenuity, right? And I, I feel like folks were tested, you know, at the beginning of the pandemic and through the pandemic and how you responded when when things become difficult to me is the most transparent moment of who you really are as an individual how you treat people and how you make decisions and i think that is auditable right when we do references when you do references across when you're hiring right that stuff comes out and so if you think you can just leave i think it's short-sighted yeah, I think it's short-sighted. There's always two sides to to any story. And so I try to probe in a little bit more detail to understand like what, more about the context because there are some times when strategy has changed just too many times, when there is a preference around profits versus people. And then I think there are people who are pretty justified in saying, I didn't sign up for this. But if this is purely just around the money, then, and a lot of the time it is, um, I... 
I totally agree. I think that that is a, a, a cycle that will um, eventually end up catching people out. And so, you know, we have listeners of podcasts who are varied in their, you know, in their designations. Some are entrepreneurs, some are corporate leaders, some are coaches, HR people, but all of them will encounter this particular question for themselves. Like, how can I be creative and how can I be self-determined in my approach to these really challenging market circumstances that we're all in? I do feel for many people, though, because it feels like we have just crawled our way out of the pandemic tunnel and are now faced with hits. Like, imagine, I just have got this image of crawling belly first through the tunnel and then you get out and want to, like, feel triumphant and then we're faced with the headwinds of of the markets right now. So I do I do understand that people are just pretty damn exhausted. You know, I think there's probably two, two things on that. So one is these are individual decisions, right? And so folks have to evaluate, like, their own family structure, their own personal career ambitions, their own financial situation. And so I would never tell somebody, if you have an opportunity in front of you where you believe you can have a, a, a professionally rewarding opportunity and make you know a whole bunch of money doing it and really enjoy who you're, you're surrounded yourself with, well, that's valid. Go right? for it. That's, you know, go for it. If you have been, I don't know, pick it a year or so into a business and now all of a sudden that industry or that company has some headwind you know true commercial headwind well you know maybe stick around and see if you can be part of the solution and -hmm. see if you can find your way through that headwind to create fresh opportunity for that business and maybe your equity long term will be worth quite a bit or maybe the job satisfaction and references you get from that will be worth quite a bit right like that's that's the balance and i respect individual individual choice on that matter. You invest and obviously not only invest, but I must be looking at many companies um, for investment um, that are in the workplace learning, workforce management sector. I'm really intrigued to know what is cool and new and exciting that could really impact the future of work and workplace for the better for all of us. Well, you know, you mentioned a company called Degreed, which in David Blake, which, you know, whom I know and and respect quite a bit, uh, we invested in a company called Edcast, which is a competitor of Degreed. And and both of the, and Edcast was recently acquired by Cornerstone. I think that entire space is cool and has a tremendous amount of innovation happening right now. So imagine you work for a global corporation and you have kind of colleagues and groups all over the world, they have technologies that allow you to connect into your work environment and receive learning opportunities while you're doing your job and to have social interaction with your peers from anywhere in the world fed to you in the moment that you need advice or content to address like a real work problem that time and flipping the head of a authoritarian learning management system into a democratic learning experience platform that using technology that is that is designed for you as an employee to be the best person you can be in that environment that is some super cool stuff going on tremendous amount of interesting things going on and what they call talent uh, talent analytics Mm-hmm. so that's taking all of the data of the individual skills that we have 
hard skills, soft skills, and saying, how are they best applicable to a corporation and making sure that those people who are successful in a corporation don't get overlooked when new job opportunities emerge and one might look outside to recruit. Now I can point my recruiting inside because I know all of this like awesome talent that I have inside of the company. And those people are, they're good fits. They're oftentimes, you know, uh, brand ambassadors and giving them opportunities, you know, cross-functionally or cross-divisionally um, is such a really interesting way to grow the organizations. Yeah, I mean, that's a really great problem to solve. Obviously, we, Jack Hammer, being an executive search firm, we see companies who almost, I think they do do some kind of uh, internal assessment of talent. But if they haven't got technology like this, and if it's a big company, kind of hard sometimes to determine whether you have the skills internally. And so then they will almost automatically go external to organizations like ours to find external talent. And then it's a it's pretty much, you know, people talk about the first 100 days, but in my experience, it's a lot longer for somebody externally to, particularly in a leadership role, to be properly in the seat. So, you know, we actually always recommend companies, you know, who do you have internally? What's your succession plan looking like? So this sounds like, I mean, listen, it could impact our revenues, but it sounds like a great tool. I think there will be plenty of work out there. Yes, yes. Yeah, that is that is really cool. Look, I mean, I, once again, because I'm engaging with either entrepreneurs who are hiring or um, individuals who are looking to move career, I hear about such interesting products on a daily basis. And so I'm super excited about what the innovation is coming to the world of work. Some of it feels a little spyware related. A lot of it is to drive almost like digital industrialization. We can't see you in person, but we will monitor you digitally hmm. so there's there's a little bit of that that i'm seeing out there which is not so cool but there's always the shadow and the light right the dark side so we, we <laughs> the dark side of, of data privacy and, and and all of that that we we have to watch for well this has been an absolute pleasure i'm always committed to trying to wrap up a podcast episode within 30 minutes because we can get a lot of juice and amazing gems which we have here thank you so much Roshana. this was such a fun conversation and really great insights thank you thank you debbie i appreciate having me thanks for hanging around all the way to the end it would mean the world if you would rate and review on Work and Revolution on your favorite listening app. It helps people know that the show is worth listening to. And so I'll really appreciate that. Thank you so much. 